0: to selfie week two. We are excited that you're here. Um, Before we kind of get the show on the road, a couple things. Number one, if you're interested in baptism, uh, we're going to be having a baptism service in um, November. We're going to get some water up here, and we have some sweet videos, kind of video stories, people telling about their life change. And baptism is this. Baptism is the death certificate to the old life and the birth certificate to the new life. And so if you're interested in publicly proclaiming Christ for life, we want to encourage you to email prodigalchurch at yahoo.com or come and talk to myself or any of the other staff members, and we'll make sure we get a chance to hang out and talk through what that means. Number two, if you noticed... Uh, We're a church that plays Michael Jackson Thriller um, in the foyer on your way coming in, okay? So we have our Trunk or Treat coming up on October 29th, and uh, there's sign-ups in the back. We encourage you to stop by, donate candy, um, volunteer your trunk, and uh, it's going to be an incredible event where we can give ourselves away in sacrificial love to the community that surrounds us. Uh, It's going to be great. Uh, I love cereal, I had cereal this morning. Often I'll eat it for multiple meals in a day. Uh, I always thought cereal was healthy. I was wrong. Uh, I found out this week that they have actually done rankings on the worst cereals that you can eat. Okay, are you ready for this? Number three, Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops. How can it be bad? It has fruit in it, right? Uh, number two, Apple Jacks another fruit. What's the deal? And finally, the most unhealthy cereal, the worst cereal for your health, Honey Smacks. Honey Smacks. That's why they're so good. And, and uh, which means that the best cereal is still in play, okay? The best cereal of all time, and it's not even close, Fruity Pebbles. Fruity Pebbles. Still good when they're soggy, and so you know that it's really good. All those names, even Fruity Pebbles, have like a natural kind of nature feel to them, right? Fruit, apples, honey, pebbles. They're from the earth, so it must be healthy. It's probably organic. Uh, The names are almost purposely deceptive. Oh, they're natural. They're from the earth. Probably very healthy. Names are very, very significant. It's, It's significant in marketing. And it's significant now, and it was significant in the ancient world. Um, places in the ancient world don't have names because they sound good. Their name actually was who they were. For example, the, the name Samaria, uh, it means watch mountain or a watchtower, is this big hill that overlooked this valley. Jerusalem, it means possession of peace or foundation of peace. Bethany means house of dates. Um, The fruit, okay? This is not a club. Uh, Golgotha, place of the skull or skull hill. It was this hill that looked like a skull. The place and the name were the same. And there's this story in the book of Genesis um, about this renaming. It's about a story about a guy named Jacob. It's it's a, a guy, Isaac, has two sons, twin sons, which already makes me like this story. Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the youngest son. He was born second. Okay, cheers to him. That's me. My my twin brother is 12 minutes older than me. He says, um, I I cleared the way. I say I pushed you out. Uh, (laughs) We don't know. The older son, Esau. Now, in the ancient world, it was the firstborn son that received the father's blessing. And it was a spiritual blessing, but it was also a, a legal blessing. And so uh, the father on his deathbed would bless the firstborn son. And so Jacob, being the younger twin, longed for this spiritual blessing his whole life, even though it was the right of his older brother Esau. Even in the utero, it, during on his birthday, his first birthday, uh, he is longing for this blessing from his dad. Uh, he's grabbing his, his brother's heel as they were born. And so they called him Jacob, which means heel grabber. Or uh, the deceiver. And so his whole life he's longing for this. And now at the end of his dad's life, the, the the dad the day had finally come where the dad's on his deathbed and he's here to give his spiritual blessing, this official blessing to his oldest son Esau. And uh, Jacob and his mom kind of work out this like trick plan deception and they cover like his body with hair and his dad's a little bit going blind. And so then his dad is getting ready to bless them. And, and he, he prays the blessing over him and he says, you kind of sound like Jacob. And he goes, no, dad, it's me. Look, feel my hairy arm. And there was like goat hair on it. And he places the blessing that was due to his brother on the youngest son. Esau comes home from hunting and he goes up to his dad. He says, dad, I'm ready for you. Bless me. And dad says, I already blessed you. And he says, no, that that must have been your younger brother. I'm sorry, but the blessing's done. Now Esau is ticked. He wants to kill his brother. And Jacob's on the run. The blessing that he always desired, the thing that he wanted from day one, he finally had, and now he's running for his life. Thought it would make him happy. Now he's separated from his mom, his dad, his brother. He's all alone. He's in this desert, and he picks up a rock on the ground and uses it for a pillow, and then God shows up to him in a dream. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis 28. It says this in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. In the winter of 2009, I was a youth pastor and we took a winter camp trip, rented a bunch of charter buses and went up to this mountain camp that was two hours away. 17 and a half hours later, we arrive at camp. Uh, On the way up, one of the buses kind of gets stuck in the snow, and it blocks all the other buses, and we don't get to the camp until uh, the next morning. Uh, When the sun came out, all these high school kids uh, kind of thought it was like Narnia, because like everything was covered in snow. Uh, It ended up really being this kind of uniting thing where like every kid in the bus starts like pouring out their heart and like relying on God and and doing this, God's starting to do this amazing work in the 17 and a half hour bus ride. Actually, when we got home from camp, a bunch of the high school students made t-shirts that said, I survived a 17 and a half hour bus ride at winter camp. (laughs) They sold like that. I really wanted to be at camp but I was stuck on the mountain. I, have you ever been in a situation where it's like, I don't want to be here, I want to be somewhere else, but I have to be here to get to somewhere else? I want to be here, I want to be somewhere else, but I'm here. That's where Jacob is. He's in a desert, and so he gets a stone and has a pillow. And verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Number one is this, when you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere, God's with you. God will show up in the middle of your nowhere. That is so like God. You think, God, where are you? I'm in this desert. All I have is a rock. That's my pillow. This rock is my pillow. Could things get any worse, God will show up in the middle of your nowhere. Some of you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere in life right now. And I just wanna let you know God's with you. God's with you. And notice another thing here. In the middle of Jacob's nowhere, God shows up in a dream and he never addresses Jacob's problem, okay? Jacob had one prayer, right? He had been longing for this one thing his entire life and he finally gets it and now he's alone, he's abandoned, his brother's pursuing him, he fears for his life. His one prayer is this, God, save me, make me safe. Let this be a safe place, God. Uh, Bring my family back. I'm sorry, that's his one prayer. And yet in this dream, God doesn't even bring it up. God doesn't address the one problem that Jacob's been praying about. Jacob's been praying this whole time. God just doesn't seem to be concerned with what he's praying about. Have you ever been there? All God says is, I've got you. God's like, I'll meet you there. And Jacob's like, great, that's awesome. But can you also answer my prayer? Can you also do something about it? Thanks for being there, God, but I'm in debt and I can't pay my bills. Could you maybe throw down some Benjamins while you're here? (laughs) Thanks for being there for me, God, but I'm still sick and the doctors don't know what it is. Could you please just heal me? You're not even addressing the problem that I've been praying about again and again and again. Sometimes the top problem for us isn't the top priority for God to deal with in our lives. Often I would say this. We've been praying about this one thing, and other stuff seems to be happening, but God doesn't seem to address that one thing. And sometimes we hold ourselves hostage because we decide that we're not going to be happy until that one problem is solved. I will not have peace. I will not enjoy my life while I'm on the mountain. I will only enjoy my life when I get to the other side of the mountain. And I believe this is what God is saying to you this morning. Rename the places you're in and the places you've been. Rename the places you're in and the places you've been. We actually have this ability. Verse 19 says this. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. It was Luz, now it's Bethel. Luz means almond tree. Okay, there were some almond trees in the area. So they go, let's call this place almond tree. Bethel means house of God. He just decided to rename the place he was in. Jacob says, I'm not calling this place Almond Tree anymore. Instead, it is Bethel, the house of God. This place used to be Almond Tree because there's an Almond Tree right there, but I'm not going to call it Almond Tree. I'm going to call it the place where God dwells. You have naming rights to the places that you're in and the places that you've been. You can call the place that you're in stressed out, Or you can call it, I have the joy of the Lord. You could call the place the waiting room. Or you can call the place the preparation room because God is preparing you for something better. You can call that place, I'm miserable and I'm not going to be happy until I get out of this situation. Or you can call that place, God is with me and I didn't even know it. You can call it a setback. Or you can call it a setup. And that's up to you. You might be in the land of worry, but stop calling it the land of worry. Start calling it, I know God is going to take care of me to the end. You might be in the land of timeline. And God's calling you to rename it. The land of I'm gonna enjoy my life today and trust him no matter what. Is God calling you to rename the place you're in right now or places of the past that you've been? Rename the places you've been. God's still God in the midst of our mountains, in the midst of our uh, 17 and a half hour bus rides. In the ancient world, your name was your identity. It's, it's not just what you were called, it's who you were. We see this as Jacob, the heel grabber, the deceiver. And when we named our kids, it was exciting. We wanted to, you know, we wanted to, we get to name somebody. Like, this is amazing. I didn't get to choose my name. Um, I like it. Uh, you know, I've had it my whole life. But I get, to ch- I get to name this person. And so we have a longer last name, Richardson. So we wanted a short name that was easy to, to say and easy to pronounce. So we went with Dex, and then we did the same thing with our daughter, Ivy. We wanted short, three-letter names, done. Dex and Ivy. We hate it when people have to correct your pronunciation of, the, of your name. It happens all the times. And it's not just that, but that the name itself is weird, but like the way they spell it is weird, right? Uh, My name's Michael, that's M-Y-K-Z apostrophe Q. Uh, I found a website called Creatively Spelled Names, okay? Here's some weird ones. Creatively Spelled Names, Caitlin, Brittany, Nicholas, Dominic, Connor, Cassandra. Oh, you're so fancy, Cassandra. Alexandra, (laughs) don't do this to your kids, okay? In the ancient world, your name was who you were, it was your character, your name was your identity. For some of us, we want our name to be big time, but we feel like we haven't amounted to anything. For some of us, we want our name to be married, but we find ourselves single. For some of us, we want our name to be rich. For many of us, we find our name to be broke. This is true for our spiritual lives as well, right? Some of us think, by this time, I will be a saint, but we feel much more like a sinner. For most of us, we have to struggle through the reality that our dreams may not come true. All of us are fairly ordinary. Just like the 6.5 billion people on the planet, we have to accept that we're not going to fly, so we might as well put the cape away. We're not gonna be the cover of GQ, and we're not gonna be in a Fortune 500 company, which would be totally okay and totally normal, except for the the fact that we live under the lie of acquired significance. When we live under this lie, being normal is not okay. Being insignificant, not okay. And for some of us, the chasm of our dreams and our reality torments us. We feel insignificant. We thought by this time we'd be the CEO, not the clerk. We thought we'd be a famous singer, but we're barely making it, working at the grocery store with three kids. The reality of our ordinariness and our dreams can torment us. And sometimes we play the blame game. Well, if it wasn't for this person, if it wasn't for that thing, then I'd be somebody. No, that's a lie. You are somebody. The lie that your significance is something that you have to earn or acquire. That's a lie. And the lie goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? If ever there was a time when people, humanity, should be at peace, is with, alone in God in paradise, walking with the divine, fully before him in a closeness that we can only barely grasp to begin to imagine. And yet, and yet, there's this tree there is something there. I, I need to get that to be significant, to be whole, to find fulfillment, which assumes that there's something missing from walking with God in the cool of the day and just being his son or daughter. No, if you want significance, there's something that you have to do to acquire it. Your last point is this. We must dispel the lie of acquired significance. And we acquire this lie from a very early age. Now, we were meant to shine, but when it gets wrapped up in our worthiness or our achievements, it becomes a giant adventure and missing the point. Luke 15, parable of the lost coin. Just a few verses. says this, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, the coin in this passage is the Greek word for drachma. It was a a day's wages. It was a day's wage for a peasant worker. But this simple short story raises some important questions like, Why was the coin so important to this woman? And why did Jesus say it was one out of ten? In first century Palestine, it was common for uh, poor people that on their wedding day, they would give their bride uh, a necklace with 10 silver coins, 10 drachma. Uh, it was a sort of like a poor man's wedding ring. And the 10 drachma weren't worth much, but if you polished them, they shined. It was a wedding ring. It was a seal of the covenant. So this lady loses one of these 10, and now you can understand why Jesus specifies that it was a woman, that he specifies that there were 10 coins, that they were silver, that he searches, she searches high and low to find this one missing one, why she refers to it as my coin, as if there's some personal attachment to it, and why she celebrates so mightily once she finds it. The meaning of the coin goes way beyond, and in fact, has nothing to do with its economic value. She's not concerned about the price. No, the coin represents her covenant with her husband. It represents their pledge to one another. It represents their hopes and dreams and life together. You can't replace this coin. It's one of a kind, it's priceless. What Jesus is telling us here in Luke 15 is that we are that lost coin. You are that lost coin. And God goes looking for us. And and you're worth more than we can ever imagine. And the worth is not because we have good market value. No, it's based on the meaning we have to God. The meaning, that, the meaning we have to God is not affected by how much is in your bank account or not, how successful you are, how well-behaved your kids are, how many times you pray today. Your worth to God has nothing to do with those things. You can't improve your significance. That would be like the coin as the lady's looking for it. She, she kind of... Tries to become a diamond, so he spices himself up a little bit. He puts some cologne on, and he goes, "Look at me! Look at me! I'm not a drachma. I'm a diamond. I'm worth more. I'm shining." God longs for you and loves you not because you're good, but because He's good. Do you think God is so trite that your significance is like a stock that goes up and goes down based on how well you're performing? Do you think that the superstar who can fill a stadium with just the sound of their voice, make millions of dollars, and sell millions of records, do you think that that person is more significant than the brain injured child whose greatest accomplishment in life is making eye contact with their parents for seven seconds? Do you think that the, the superstar is worth more to God? If so, he's pretty trite, he's pretty trivial. Your worth to God is not based on what you can do for him. No, significance to God is something altogether different. Real significance is not something that we achieve or we need to acquire. It's given us by grace in Jesus. The truth is you're already more significant and have more significance and worth than you could possibly ever comprehend. Right now, apart from anything you've ever done, you have significance to God off the charts, infinite value. It's rooted in God's character, not yours. You were meant to shine, not because of you, but because of how God made you and how God saved you. That's why we shine. It's not to acquire significance. It's to show and display the significance that we already have in Jesus. Does anybody need to hear this this morning? If you're feeling like you've got to get yourself all cleaned up before you can get right with God, before God will accept you, before God thinks that you have worth and significance, you're wasting your time, you already have significance to God. He has and will continue to go whatever lengths to show you his love. Now I wanna show you guys a a movie clip uh, about this, that really dives into this concept of identity. It's this family in an African village and rebel soldiers take the young boy to their camp and they turn him into a child soldier They tell him that he's violent, that they teach him how to kill, they give him a gun. This beautiful, young, innocent child is trained to become a killing machine. And then the father sets out to find his son. So the movie is the father searching for his lost son. And the whole time he's he's overcoming obstacles and searching along his way. And the boy gets more and more corrupted by the message that he is told every day. And the child is hearing these messages again and again, how he's a bad boy. And at the end of the movie, the father and Leonardo DiCaprio (laughs) finally meets up with the son and the son has a gun. This movie's called Blood Diamonds. Check this out.
1: Dia. What are you doing? Dia. Young babe what are you doing? Belagia Avanti, of the proud Mende tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer. and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister, Yanda. And did you, baby? The cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who wants no one but you. Hmm? No, they made you do bad things. You're not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you. And you will come home with me
0: and be my son again. In a world where we are told so many messages about who we are, the gospel comes in to speak to us and tell us who we truly are. You are a child of God. I know you've been told this and this about yourself and your significance, and God says you're already significant. It doesn't matter. The past is gone. Come home with me. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Run into my arms. I've been searching for my lost coin that has so much significance and you can try and spice yourself up. You can try and polish yourself and make yourself good. But that doesn't change or affect the market value I have for you. I will have and will always have infinite love for you. And I'll go and die a hellish death on a cross to show you the depth of my love that you're my son, that you're my daughter. Some of us, we need to hear that, that our significance is not based on, we got this degree, we got this amount of money in our bank account, in our retirement account, that that our kids are this well-behaved, that some of us need to know that that's not where your identity is, that's not who you are. Some of us need to rename the place that we're in and rename the places we've been. Some of you, God, I've been praying this one prayer and you're not addressing it. You haven't haven't dealt with this. I've been praying this prayer for 10 years and you've made peace with yourself saying, I'm not gonna be fully happy. I won't be fully satisfied. I won't have full significance in my life until God does this one thing and God's saying, rename that place. It's not, I'm gonna be miserable until I get to the other side of the mountain. No, it's, I'm gonna trust God. He was here and I didn't even know it. This place that you've called almond tree, this place that you've called suffering, this place that you've called depression, God's saying, no, 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 no. Rename this place as Bethel, the house of God. God's here. God's with you, even in the midst of your nowheres, even in the midst of your mountains, even in the midst of your failures, God is with you, God loves you. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we find our identity as a child of God. I pray, God, that we fall in love with you I pray, God, that you meet us where we are. God, whether we're in a desert and all we have is a stone for a pillow. We pray that you you meet us here. Let it be known, God, that you're with us in this place, God. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. So God, we pray that you would move the mountains in our lives pray that we would know you as a good, good father who loves us, who welcomes us home, who searches for us. And in a world where we are told so many things about ourselves, God, may we rest in the fact that we are children of the King. May we live out that reality every day in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we declare that together? A thousand
1: stories of one